I believe that all of us would confess that we need wisdom to operate successfully in this world. We need that insight to identify the right people who can help us in our various endeavors. We need that wisdom to recognize the right career choice to make. We need wisdom to know what business investments we are to be engaged in. And for a whole range of issues, we need wisdom. The Apostle Paul recognizes this. But for him, wisdom is more than natural insight or knowledge gained through study and experience. For him, true wisdom is more than cleverness. The Apostle Paul views wisdom as that intimate knowledge of God on one hand, and on the other hand, the skill to live pleasing to God. That for Paul, knowledge, or rather wisdom, is essentially theological and moral. It is the knowledge of God and the ability, the skill to live pleasing to God. That, of course, brings into play the entirety of the Old Testament wisdom literature, which focuses on the moral aspect of wisdom. The truly wise man in the Old Testament is a man who lives, who has the skill of living to please God. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks about this wisdom, the wisdom which is involved in the knowledge of God and the skill of pleasing God. He mentions this in chapter 2 of Colossians. In chapter 2, 1 to 5, Paul is still pursuing the thought that we find at the end of chapter 1 of Colossians. For there in chapter 1, Paul speaks about his ministry, how he's filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Uh, the explanation we gave simply states that Paul was bearing the sufferings that are related to Christ and filling up what God intends for the body of Christ to suffer on behalf of Christ. And Paul tells us that he's a minister of the mystery, a mystery which he reveals concerns Jesus Christ and particularly the mystery he identifies as Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul says he's laboring that they might indeed mature in the faith. He's agonizing over them. In chapter 2 he goes on to make it clear that he's also laboring assiduously for those not only in Colossae but in Laodicea, those in the Lycus Valley. I want you to know, he says, what a great conflict. What a great agonizing. Because that's leads the root of the term. I have for you and those in Laodicea, as for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul says this because he's agonizing in prayer, laboring before the throne of God for them, even though they had never met him. The church in Colossae, and in Laodicea, 
were not churches that Paul had started, but those from his ministry, like Epaphras, who was taking the gospel to these people, and they were converted. But Paul says he's laboring for them. And he's la- he tells us the purpose of his labor, that their hearts should be encouraged, being knit together in love. And he further explains his purpose, not only should their heart be encouraged, knitted together in love, but that they might attain all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. They may come to complete understanding, he's saying, of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, the mystery which now he defines and says regarding Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says that he wants them to come to the full knowledge of the mystery of God, which is related to Christ. And he describes Christ as the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want us to consider Christ then as wisdom. As wisdom. The writer says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And wisdom and knowledge, because it is governed by one article, it is very likely that the writer intends the same thing when he talks about wisdom and knowledge. They refer to one reality. But he describes Christ as the one in whom there are treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden, that are deposited. That he's saying that Christ is the storehouse. The term here in Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures, mean all the storehouses. What he's saying is that in Christ, all wisdom and knowledge are stored up. They're hidden. That, that doesn't mean that they are concealed or cannot be found. It simply means that they are stored up in him. And the writer feels and sees it as necessary to point out that Christ is the repository of knowledge, the repository of wisdom. Precisely because the Colossians had false teachers. And although it is difficult to articulate the nature of the false teaching, we know that the false teaching emanated from two sources, one from a Jewish source. So there was a call to involve themselves in the worship of angels, to practice ascetic living, to to withdraw from society, to give up foods, and so on. And there was also a pagan stream to their teaching, which articulated that they needed deeper knowledge, that if they truly want to mature in the faith, they had to have this secret knowledge that these false teachers were, of course, the dispensaries. And so Paul tells these Colossians, That in Christ are hidden all the treasures, all the storehouses of wisdom and knowledge. Let me make it clear. That the wisdom that is found in Christ must not be seen primarily as scientific wisdom and knowledge. You know, anybody who wants to advance in university in their chosen field in architecture or agriculture or computer science or whatever area of endeavor 
would do well not to go to the Bible to study to get ahead in those areas. You know, if you want to become a professional chef, it may not be smart of you to try to study the Bible to teach you how to be a chef. Although I know that people, you know, have all kinds of ideas about how to, what kind of foods to eat and so on, and dietary practices based on the scriptures and so on. You know, Ezekiel bread is said to be very good for you, although I've argued before that that was not given as a recipe. In fact, <laughs> as I've said to folks on many occasions, Ezekiel bread is really a, 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 a putting together of diverse things. In other words, it was a starvation diet. It's some people who, uh, who were suffering who put together all kinds of stuff. It wasn't given to us as a recipe. So the Bible is not given to us as a scientific textbook. We are not to go to Christ to learn mathematics. Not that Christ does not possess all truth, but the wisdom and knowledge that the scriptures speak of that are found in Christ is primarily spiritual. That's what the writer is getting at here. I want us to, first of all, consider Christ then as the treasury of wisdom and knowledge. First of all, the writer would indicate that Christ is a source of all wisdom because he in himself embodies and personifies divine wisdom. Why? Why does the writer call Paul, call Jesus, the treasury in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Why is Christ then the source of all wisdom? It is first of all because he himself personifies divine wisdom. In the Old Testament, wisdom is often related to God. It is related to the Torah. But we find intriguingly that in the book of Proverbs, and particularly in chapter 8, wisdom is personified as co-creator with God. And so you find that wisdom speaks in Proverbs 8, and particularly in verses 30 to 31. Wisdom says, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. But, but what I want you to focus on is what he says here in verse 30. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman. Wisdom is typified, pictured as a person, one who creates with God. I was beside him as a master craftsman. But the wisdom that is typified and pictured in the Old Testament is personified and reaches its fullest expression in Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. When you read the New Testament, you see that Jesus Christ personifies wisdom. He is the new teacher in the book of Matthew, he goes in the Sermon on the Mount to a mountainside. He is a second Moses who comes with a new law. You have heard it said of old by the prophets, but I say to you. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who embodies wisdom. You see that in the parables that he gave and the wise sayings that emanated from him. He is a true prophet, the one who is greater 
than Solomon, where he could say the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. You see, wisdom is now personified in Jesus Christ. He himself is the embodiment of wisdom. The wisdom that was revealed in the Old Testament as creator is now found in Jesus. That is why, for instance, in the Gospel of John, John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him, and without him nothing was made that was made, in John 1, 1 to 3. Many commentators have written on the Logos Christology, this use of the Logos. In the beginning was the word, Logos. And they would identify that in ancient philosophy, particularly among the Stoics, the Logos was viewed as the supreme rational principle of life. That through which the cosmos was fashioned. That principle which pervades the universe. Which holds it together. Which governs it. That was the Logos. It, it created the world. It, it binds the world together. And John picks up this language of Logos. And he says Logos is not a principle but is a person. And so he's doing two things. One, one of that he's referring, correcting Stoic philosophy. That the principle behind the universe is more than just an entity. It's a person. It is he who created the world. But more than that, John is also tapping into Proverbs. Because for him, wisdom is this logos. Because he's identifying the logos as the wisdom of God. The one who created the world. The writer of Proverbs 8 says, the logos is the creator. Or says that wisdom is the creator. John says the logos is the creator. The apostle Paul then sees Jesus Christ as a personification of wisdom. For in chapter 1 verse 15 in this grace, great uh, Christological passage he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principles or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. It is this one whom he says is the creator. The one who sustains and glues the universe together. It is he that he says in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. You see the apostle Paul can identify Christ then as wisdom because he is the creator. He embodies wisdom, the wisdom depicted in, in Proverbs 8, depicted by John in John chapter 1. Jesus Christ, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because he himself embodies wisdom. You see, it is not that Jesus grew in wisdom, which is what we learn in the scriptures, but he himself is wisdom. Wisdom is embodied, is enfleshed. Jesus Christ is 
incarnated wisdom. His very person can be identified with wisdom. But Jesus is not only the repository, the reservoir of all wisdom and knowledge because he embodies wisdom. He is the source or the storehouse of wisdom principally because he's ultimately the self-revelation of God. Why is he the one in whom all wisdom and knowledge are stored? Not only because he embodies wisdom, but because he is a self-expression, the self-revelation of God. John saw the Lord Jesus as the one who reveals God. He says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He has exegeted him. He has revealed him. No one has seen God. But the one who has made God known is Christ. So we need to recognize that for John, our Lord Jesus Christ did not merely bring propositional statements about God. He did not just merely impart truth about God. He himself is the revelation in his person of God. And that is why in John he could say, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He reveals God. He is then the repository, the reservoir of all wisdom because he is a revelation of God himself. You see the same idea oppressed by the writer of Hebrews who in that magnificent opening verse of Hebrews chapter 1 he could say God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by son. What he indicates in time past revelation came and the revelation which came came in diverse and fragmentary ways. That was how the Old Testament prophets receive revelation. They receive revelation in various ways, some in dreams, some in visions. And they receive it at different times. And they receive it piecemeal. They were never given the entire picture. But now at the end of the age, God has spoken in son. God has spoken and revealed himself. He is the repository of wisdom, not only because he embodies wisdom, but because he is the self-revelation of God. Jesus Christ is the visible demonstration of the invisible God. And therefore he is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. What it means then is that all wisdom, all that we need for life and for godliness, all that we need to know about God and how to please him is found in Jesus. The Apostle Paul 
will clarify this. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? I know it's a mouthful, but he's saying that we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, in the face of Christ. He is the reflection. He is the image of God. And what he brings then is not merely a revelation about God, but the revelation of God. That is why he could say in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because you see, he is one with God. He does not merely bring truth about God. He brings God to us. It is Christ, therefore, who reveals God, all that we need to know about God. All we need to know about the character of God. Jesus Christ demonstrates because he is God. And it means that the revelation that he brings is superior to all prophets. In Matthew 11, our Lord in confronting these rebellious cities and weeping over them, he confronts their unbelief and he says to cities like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it is, it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And tellingly, he says, nor does anyone know the Father, that is God, except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. There is nowhere we can go in this world, no religion, no system to which we can go to know God apart from Christ. That every other system, every other religion, every other means is a blind alley, is a cul-de-sac. Because only in Jesus Christ can God be fully known because he himself is God. God the Son. He alone mediates the knowledge of God because he's God. It means, it means the revelation of Jesus Christ is superior. Because all the revelation that is received through men, through the prophets, is derivative. In other words, the revelation that they have received is derived from God. But the revelation in Jesus Christ is original because he is God. And therefore in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What I've been saying then, if I may capture in a single statement, is this. Christ is the only one in whom we can find all we need to understand spiritual reality. And all that we need to live a pleasing life can be found in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Because he is God. He alone is able to reveal God perfectly. But I've argued two things about Christ who is the source of spiritual wisdom. 
He's a source of spiritual wisdom because scripture shows that he embodies wisdom. He is the incarnation of divine wisdom. Secondly, he's a source of wisdom, the repository of wisdom, because he is a self-revelation of God. But thirdly, Christ is a source of wisdom because the Bible identifies him as the wisdom of God, particularly expressed in his saving work at the cross. If you were to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul there says Jesus Christ identifies him as the wisdom of God. Exclusively. That is, he and he alone is the wisdom of God. Listen to what he says. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, the, the Corinthians were enamored with wisdom. They live in a world where not only does Socrates know thyself was pregnant, they sought knowledge. They were always seeking more. The, 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 the philosophers who gathered at Mars Hill in Athens, they gathered there always seeking to know more, seeking some new truth. They were seekers of knowledge and of wisdom. And this same spirit of the age, this zeitgeist, this, this spirit of the age that governed Corinth was also to be found in some portion, in some measure in the church. They were always longing for something new. They were heaping up teachers. I am of Paul and I, I belong to Apollos. and I, I stand behind Cephas. They all had their favorite theologian. They were longing for more and more. They were seeking wisdom. And the apostle Paul reminds them that the wisdom of the world is a fraud. The true wisdom is to be found in God and particularly in Christ. And what he says is that it is in Jesus Christ and the cross that the wisdom of God is revealed. That God outsmarts human wisdom and he outsmarts human wisdom particularly in Jesus and the cross. I want you to get a flavor of how he sees the wisdom of God demonstrated in Christ. He says, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? He's quoting Old Testament prophecy. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God. In other words, it was God's intention that the world by its wisdom should not know him. That human beings should never seek God and find him. For Jews, he says, demanded signs. And Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, it means it is through Christ and the cross he saves, and Christ, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than humans, and the weakness of God is stronger than humans. He's attacking the false wisdom of the age, the philosophy and the rhetoric. And he's saying that God was pleased through the preaching of the cross to save those who believe. He's saying that the cross divides humanity. 
Because it is in the cross that salvation is to be found. It is in the cross divine wisdom is to be revealed. And that in the cross God outsmarted the wisdom of men. Why? Because nowhere amongst the philosophers, nowhere amongst the gurus could they ever have imagined that God would have saved men through the cross. The cross, you see, was a stench, an obstacle to the Jews. It was a stumbling block. They already read the Old Testament. They knew that whoever was hung on a cross was cursed by God. And for the Greeks, it was folly. It was madness. It was absolutely ridiculous to believe in a crucified Messiah. They're saying, how can you go and worship somebody on a cross? One whom we, we the Romans, have crucified. It doesn't make any sense. You see, nobody, no rational human being would ever have imagined that we could be saved by one who died on the cross. That's the wisdom of God. You see, because the wisdom of God is other than that of man. The folly of God is smarter than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is greater than man's strength. You see, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And that wisdom is revealed particularly in the cross. No man could have ever imagined and come up with a scheme like this. Only God could. Only God could have planned to deliver man by leaving the portals of heaven, taking upon himself our flesh and blood, living without sin, and paying a ransom by his blood for our sins and dying for us and being raised for us and saving us by grace. You search in all the religions of the world. There has never been a salvation like this and there can never be because only the wisdom of God could have engineered this. You know what the writer goes on to say in the text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not only is God's wisdom outsmarting men, not only is God's wisdom superior because of the means by which he chose to save, but his wisdom is revealed in terms of the people whom he saved. Because if you go back to 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us not only God chose an unorthodox, an unimaginable way of salvation by saving us through the cross, but the people whom he saved are not the expected people. So he goes on in verse 26 and following, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world. And the things that are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things are. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. We like to hobnob with those who have influence and power. You know, we, we're going to have a party at our home. We don't, we don't go try to find those we consider to be riffraffs to be with us. We are very selective in whom we invite. In our world, we embrace the successful. We like to be around those who have done something and have achieved something. We, we want some of their glory to rub off on us. 
We want to move in the circle of the successful. So we normally choose people who we respect and honor. But when God determined to save men, he did not look for the successful. One writer says that he called nobodies to make them somebodies. He called those who were weak and those who were foolish, those who were without status and position in life, those who could not contribute, those who could never offer anything. He chose the weak and the foolish, that no flesh should glory except in the cross of Christ. What am I arguing? You see, Christ is the wisdom of God, not only because he embodies wisdom, he is the incarnation of wisdom, not only because he is a self-revelation of God and therefore wisdom, but he is God's saving purpose. He is God's saving means for sinners. And the cross demonstrates the wisdom and those who are saved by God. Well, in verse 30 of the same passage, he goes on to tell us, but of him are you in Christ, who became for us wisdom, wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As I've mentioned in the past, he's not saying that Christ has become four things for us, wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. He's saying that Christ has become for us wisdom, saving wisdom. And this wisdom consists of righteousness, justification, sanctification. Christ purifies us. And redemption, he buys us back from slavery. But God, God has made Christ to be wisdom, saving wisdom, who provides us then with righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ because he himself is the embodiment of wisdom. He is a self-revelation of God. And he is the wisdom of God preeminently revealed in his saving purpose in the cross. My friends, all wisdom and knowledge are stored up in Christ in an infinite manner. And there are a number of corollaries that we must consider. I want to list at least three. First, because Christ in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it means that we must reject all false avenues to wisdom. In the first century, the false teachers were claiming that they had a secret wisdom that the Corinthians needed if they were going to advance. If they were going to improve their lives. If they were going to be closer to God, they needed Christ. But they needed these false teaching, this false teaching. And today we have a plethora of avenues by which people are seeking spiritual wisdom. We see a turn to so-called spirituality a turn to ancient religions. Religions like Buddhism with its eightfold path, a right view, a right speech, and right intention, and right conduct, and right livelihood, and right effort, and right mindedness, and right concentration, and so on. We see a turn to the New Age movement and the occult. We see the rise in a new mysticism. We're in a pluralistic postmodern age. There is the notion that we must know God, but we must know God intuitively. We must know God through our intuition, through our feelings. That what really matters is not propositional truth, but emotion. We need to be connected to God, and so people are involved 
in a, a new spirituality, a turning to intuition, a turning to meditation, a turning to religious rites, various avenues seeking spiritual enlightenment and closeness with God and true wisdom. We see a movement even within Christian circles where people will tell you, I am a messianic believer. Christians who come from Gentile backgrounds believe that if they are going to truly know God and be close to God, they've got to become Christian Jews. So we keep the Passover, we keep the feasts that the Jewish people kept. And forgetting that the entire book of Galatians was written against that kind of reading. That having begun in the spirit, we cannot be completed in the flesh. That we have been delivered by the law. There are a host of things today. We've got to keep the Sabbath. We've got to make sure that we don't eat pork and so on. All of these are ways that, are, that we are endeavoring to gain greater knowledge and greater wisdom and greater closeness of God. We must, we must reject every false avenue to spiritual wisdom. Because in Christ, in him, are hidden all. The, the emphasis there is all. Yes. All wisdom and all knowledge. All that we need to know God. All we need to please him is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But not only must we reject all false avenues, as I have indicated here, we must rec recognize that Christ is our wisdom. Christ is the one we need. If we are to understand spiritual realities, if we are to live a pleasing life to God, it is Christ to whom we must go. We cannot know God. We cannot know the will of God without going to Christ. If we are to please God, we must go to Christ. We must make it our business to know him. The Apostle Paul was a scholar in the Hebrew scriptures. But yet he could say I, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death. That if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What did Paul want to do? I want to know him. I want to know him. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's nothing that you need to know about God and about the will of God for your life that is not revealed in and through Jesus Christ. It's revealed in the scriptures. It's revealed in the Pauline epistles and the Johnine epistles. It's revealed in the entire New Testament. And it therefore means that if we are to have the true knowledge that is found in Christ, the true wisdom in Christ, we must first of all cultivate an intimate relationship with God through Christ. We must also practice the spiritual disciplines, particularly the reading of the word of God. If we are to, if we are to take advantage of Christ, who is the treasury, the source, the deposit of all spiritual wisdom and knowledge, we must be people who are reading the Bible. We live in an age where, there are, where there's too little reading of the scriptures. Christians, Christians today don't know scripture. Not, we don't memorize Bible verses anymore. I, I think that Sunday school children should be taught to memorize scripture. 
We need to be people who are in the word. Because Christ has revealed his truth, his wisdom in his word. And let's be very careful. One of the great disservices that has been done to the church is printing the words of Jesus in red. Because when you read the Gospels and you see in your Bibles the word of Jesus in red, you would think that these are the words that Jesus Christ has spoken and wet, and the rest of what is written in Scripture is not spoken by Christ. But I would want to say to you that all our Bibles should be full of red. Because when you read Paul, you should, read, you should have all of the text there in red. Because we, we can talk about Pauline theology. Because we are, we are looking for a way of distinguishing him from John. But Paul didn't have a theology. It was not his theology. It's Christ's theology. You see, the theology of John and of Paul belonged to Christ. The words that Christ spoke in the gospel are his words spoken through the apostles. And we must therefore be people who are reading the word and studying the word. If we are to be preserved from error, if we are to be kept in truth, we must be people who are mining Christ, who are digging deep in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. We must read the Bible. We must study the word. You know, we must read the Bible from back to front. In other words, we must interpret scripture with the New Testament. We must not use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament. We must use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. Because the key of Scripture is Christ. The hermeneutical key to Scripture is actually Christ. And the Emmaus Road, the Emmaus Road contains the interpretive key of Scripture. Because in Luke 24, the disciples are discouraged. Oh, we thought that he was the one who was promised to deliver his people. And they were all down. And we read in Luke 24. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses, that is in Genesis, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things that concerning himself. Do you know what Jesus says? You will never read Genesis properly if when you read Genesis 1, you don't see me there. You will never understand Exodus if when you see in Exodus and you read Exodus, you do not see me. You will never understand Isaiah and Ezekiel and the prophets unless you recognize that I'm there. That all of it is about me. My friends, you and I must know that all spiritual truth, all that we need to know God and to live for him, is found in Christ and found in his word. And we must therefore be people who are consumers of scripture. Reading, meditating, memorizing the word of God. Going to Jesus Christ. Because he is the reservoir of all spiritual knowledge. How do we live? How do we please God? It's found in Christ and in his word. May God guard us from error. And may we, as we become more and more godly, be people who are mining Christ, who are eating and drinking and feeding upon his wisdom that he has revealed in his word for Jesus' sake.